Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, today we're talking about how heaven changes our marriages. So let me just begin by saying, marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I've always wanted to do that, y'all. And listen, if you don't get that reference, our friendship may be in jeopardy, okay? Uh, I heard the story of a young lady who had to cut off her engagement with her fiance, and she went to her mom. She's just crying, and through her tears, she said, Mom, I can't possibly marry him. I just found out he's not a Christian. He doesn't believe in hell. And the mom, her, her, her face got all red and her brow furrowed. She said, oh, honey, don't you worry. You go ahead and marry him. We'll teach him to believe in hell. <laughs> and uh, like, we're, we're followers of Jesus, right? And so that means that we believe that heaven and hell are real places. We believe that we are all headed toward an eternal future. And so the question that we're asking today is, what difference does our forever life make in the life we have here and now? What difference does heaven make in our marriages? But before we really jump in, I do wanna just acknowledge from the get-go that for some of you today, marriage is gonna be a tricky and even difficult topic to discuss because for some of you, maybe you're in a really tough marriage or you're not married, but you want to be, or maybe you lost your spouse or you've been through a divorce. Marriage is a tricky and difficult subject because it hits at these core parts of who we are. But I wanna say that regardless of your marital status this morning, this message is for all of us. Because marriage was never meant to be the end game. God actually designed marriage as just a reflection of the ultimate love that all of us were made for, the love between God and his people, the love he has for us and the love that we have for him. So anything that we learn about marriage today should just lead us closer to God. That's why this message is for all of us. And I wanna, want you to know also that I'm not standing up here this morning as somebody who has marriage all figured out or as the perfect spouse. My wife is sitting right here in this service. I'm gonna try not to look at her today. And if you hear her laughing, please just ignore her. She doesn't know what she's talking about, okay? Um, <laughs> And also, I did write this sermon while I abandoned my wife for 12 days with three little kids to go to the other side of the world with my friends. So I have no right to talk about marriage today. I'm standing up here as a hypocrite. Let's enjoy this irony together. And uh, I, I'm not a perfect spouse, but, but, but I do happen to know the guy who designed marriage and you do too. So let's listen to him together today. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, God, we, we love you for the relationships that you give us that you've not left us to do life alone. And we want the way we go about those relationships to honor you today. We want you to be glorified in what we think, what we say, what we do, how we treat one another. And we want this to be a place of strong marriages where when people look at the families here at Plainfield Christian Church, they will catch a glimpse of heaven. That's our desire. So lead us to that end. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Marriage is one of God's absolute best gifts to us in this life here on earth. The Bible even says this, Proverbs 18, says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. Now, ironically, I've not found a similar verse about husbands yet, so uh, like guys, we're getting the better end of this deal, right? And, and all the ladies in the room today said... Amen, amen, amen. Like marriage is good, but it's not a fairy tale. We know this. You guys think like of all the fairy tale marriages, surely Billy Graham would be a good husband, right? Like he's this kind of pinnacle of virtue and morality in American history. But even Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, one time she said this about their marriage. She said, for us, you know, divorce is not an option. A murder, yeah, sure, definitely, but, but not, not divorce. Like, 
Marriage is a great gift from God, but it's not a fairy tale because anytime you bring two people together, two people with different personalities and different sets of priorities and different habits and different sin susceptibilities, and when those two become one, there are bound to be some fireworks. Like one of you is gonna put the toilet paper roll on with the paper coming out from the bottom and one of you is gonna put it on from it going over the top. I can already tell there's some tension in the room right now, okay? And, and, and so one of you is gonna squeeze the tube from the middle of toothpaste and one of you is gonna squeeze the toothpaste tube from the end because your mama raised you right. Can I get an amen? We know this and, and, and we've heard it before. It's been fed to us. People say, well, opposites attract. Are you kidding me? Sometimes opposites just annoy, don't they? Yes. Um, I heard one old preacher, <laughs> he said, uh, you know, sometimes I love my wife so much I could just eat her up. And the next day, I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> marriage is good, but it is not a fairy tale. And we think of all the marriages, if there was ever going to be a fairy tale marriage, it should be the very first marriage, right? Like back when the world was perfect. God made the world at the very beginning. He made everything good. He said it is good. God made the very first man, Adam, and he put him in the garden. And God looked at everything that he made. And the Bible said he said that it was good, except for one thing. The very first not good thing in the world, take a look at this, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The very first not good thing. God says it is not good for the man to be alone. And again, all the ladies said Amen, right? So what's God gonna do about this? How's he gonna fix this aloneness problem? Genesis 2, he invented marriage. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man and the man said, check out how excited he is. He says, this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I've seen all those other animals, but this, this is what I'm talking about. And she shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. <laughs> that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is an incredible text, right? Like this is before sin ever comes into the world. So surely if there was ever a fairy tale marriage in history, this is it, right? Like they don't have to doubt whether or not they found the right spouse. They like got the only ones. God put the ball on the tee for them. Think about how great this was. Eve never came up to Adam and asked, honey, what should I wear today? Like they had a good gig going on, right? And yet... Even in that marriage, they were still prone to sin. What happened was they forgot the forever life that God had made them for and they got distracted by the things right in front of them and they eat the fruit, sin enters the world and you can go read this in Genesis chapter three, the very first thing in history that sin affects was their marriage. They started blaming each other, they started hiding from each other and, and we all know this, none of us in the room today are in sinless relationships. Whether or not you're married, even if it's just a friendship we're talking about today, none of us are in sinless relationships. We all bring our sin to the table and that's why even though God designed marriage as a good gift and marriage is a good gift, it gives us some of the best and deepest joys that you can find in this life, some of the most tender and precious memories you can even create but that's why it's also one of the source of sometimes the most bitter disappointment we have in this life. And some of the deepest wounds that strike at our very soul, and some of you know that pain too, it's because we enter into a relationship with a sin problem. And so if we can just acknowledge that none of us are coming to the table today with fairy tale relationships, we're all coming with sin-infected relationships, that means that whatever your 
marriage problems are today, whether you have a communication problem or a money problem or a sexual problem or a laziness problem, like whatever your marriage problem is, I'd like to suggest that one of the greatest threats to your marriage is not actually something that's outside of you. It's something that's inside of you. And I think one of those threats, one of those things the devil would love to tempt us into in order to tear our marriages apart is the threat of forgetting eternity. I think if you forget eternity, your marriage will be crushed. And and here's what I mean by that. Um, God did not design marriage to meet all of your desires. He didn't design this life even to meet all of your desires. Ecclesiastes chapter three says it like this. says that God has set eternity in the human heart. That means God has hardwired each of us to long for heaven. This world wasn't meant to completely satisfy you. But that also means that if you forget that God made you for heaven, you will try to, try to squeeze every drop of joy and satisfaction and thrill out of this life that you possibly can. You will try to press your marriage to fulfill all your deepest longings for intimacy and connection and security and affirmation. And the problem is that your marriage can't meet that for you. Because the Bible says your marriage and your life here on earth is this. I didn't bring this just to wake you guys up if you fall asleep, right? But, but, but your life, your life is this. Our life here on earth is just a mist. Here's, here's what James says in James chapter four. He says it like this. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Have you ever tried to get a mist to satisfy your thirst? All right, open up. Ready? Anybody thirsty? Here you go. Don't you feel better? Don't you feel so? Like, it, it can't satisfy your thirst, can it? But asking your marriage to fulfill your deepest desires, asking this life on earth to fulfill your desires is like trying to use a mist to satisfy your thirst. So if you forget that God has set eternity in your heart, then you're gonna try to get your marriage to meet all your needs for comfort and affection and security and intimacy and romance. And when you put that kind of pressure on another sinful person, they will let you down. Every single time. They will be crushed. So that means that eternity should make a difference in the here and now of our marriage, right? Right? So let me just ask you two questions today about your marriage. I wanna ask you a question about the future and then I wanna ask you a question about the present. First, a question about the future. And here's the question. Is your marriage preparing you for heaven? Is your marriage preparing you for heaven? I know that sounds like a little bit of a weird question here, but hang with me. Uh, Most of us, I hope, you are taking financial steps to prepare for the future. We're saving for our kids' college. Maybe you're setting up an estate or you're saving for retirement. We spend a lot of time in this life financially preparing for the last 10 10 years of our life here on earth. Can you imagine what would happen if we spent the same amount of time preparing for our first, I don't know, 10,000 years of eternity? This should make a difference. And it breaks my heart as a pastor when I look out and I see so many people chasing earthly happiness but I see the way they're living and I know the way they're living means they're gonna be miserable for eternity. It's just a bad investment. So is your marriage preparing you for heaven? Sounds like a weird question, but let me give you three potential ways that your marriage can prepare you for heaven and that you can help your spouse be ready for heaven. Here's the first one. First way is this, encourage your spouse to love God. Encourage your spouse to love God. Now Jesus says that the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 10, he says the thing he wants most from us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in another place, Jesus actually kind of frames that greatest command to love God in terms of our earthly relationships. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 14. He says, if anyone comes to me, catch how strong this is, and does not hate 
Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. It's really strong, isn't it? Now, Jesus isn't telling you to hate your spouse, but he is saying that you should love God so much that your love for anything else looks like hatred. That you should love Jesus so much more than your spouse that actually it will free you up to love your spouse more freely without needing them to fulfill you. So your marriage can prepare each other for heaven by encouraging your spouse to love God because that's the kind of love, it's not a mist. That's the kind of love that will last because in that same chapter, in in Matthew chapter 22, um, Jesus says something about what our marriages are gonna be like in eternity. Now, Jesus is asked a hypothetical question by some religious teachers who are trying to trap him. And so they asked him a question. They said, okay, so say there's this woman and she gets married seven times, but every single one of her husbands dies. And I'm thinking like, first of all, like stop marrying this girl. She's bad news, right? You know, but, but they said, well, well, who's she gonna be married to in heaven? And Jesus says that actually our marriages here on earth don't necessarily carry over into eternity. He says this in verse 30. Jesus says, at the resurrection... People will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. You seen your marriage here on earth? It's just a mist. Now, if I can just be honest with you this morning, like when I hear that, it kind of bums me out a little bit. I really like being married to Rebecca. I'm not just saying that because she's in here. Like, I love being married. She's my best friend in the world. There's nobody else I want to be with. The thought of being in eternity not married to her is kind of a bummer to me a little bit. But that just reveals to me that my heart is still so set on earthly things. Because I love being married, but, but she's still a sinner. I, I'm not, she is. Um, but, no, I'm kidding. Um, but I have no idea what it would be like to have a relationship with her where we're both free of sin. Can you imagine how good that's gonna be? And if the God who invented a marriage in this life that's this good, even when we're sinful, who am I to think he doesn't have something even better for us in store in heaven? And besides, this marriage here on earth, it was never the end game. This marriage was always designed just to be a foretaste of the ultimate love that Rebecca and I were made for, the love that God has for us and that we have for him. So the best thing I can do for her and the best thing she can do for me is to encourage her to love God. Because this love, this is just a mist. So I wanna just acknowledge though that as I say encourage your spouse to love God, some of you have spouses at home who don't love God. And some of you have spouses who are, who are not believers or some of you have a spouse that, that maybe they do believe but they don't have the same level of spiritual hunger that you do. I'm not telling you to nag them, okay? I'm not even telling you to make them your project. But I'm telling you to pray for them every single day that God would soften their heart. And I'm telling you to love them and I'm telling you to serve them in such a radical way that they would see what Jesus has done in your heart and that they'd want a piece of it. And I'm also saying that if you are married to a spouse who does share that belief, Encourage them to love God. Make sure they're getting their time with the Lord. Make sure you're asking them, hey, what's Jesus doing in your life? What's what's he calling you to in this season? Tell them what God's doing in your life. Encourage them to love God. Help them to grow in their love for him because that's the love that'll last. A few weeks ago in our Daniel series, we talked about the often cited statistic that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. But we also said that if those couples will put just one habit in place, if they'll pray together every day, the divorce rate falls to less than 1%. It's radical. So listen, if you're not praying together every day, like do it. The best thing you can do for your spouse is to encourage them to love God, even if it feels awkward. You can use your marriage to prepare each other for heaven by encouraging your spouse to love God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Let your marriage prepare you for heaven by equipping your spouse to live on mission. Equipping your spouse to live on mission. 
I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Amazing Race. I haven't watched very much of it, but I've seen just enough of it to kind of know the premise, that you have these couples, these pairs, and they're on a mission. They're supposed to get to the finish line. They got to accomplish these things on the way. And so as they're on this mission, on The Amazing Race, these couples, they don't have time to mess around. Like they don't have time to play games. They are doing whatever it takes to use everything they have, using each other's gifts to get to the finish line. They're on a mission. And that's our life here too. We're not just twiddling our thumbs waiting for Jesus to come back. He's given us a mission. And so part of our job then in marriage is to help our spouse live on mission, to get to the finish line together. Uh, Jesus told a story about this. He told a story of a man who went off to a faraway land. But before he left, he entrusted a lot of his resources to his servants. And so to one of his servants, he gave five bags of gold and to another servant, he gave two bags of gold and to another servant, he gave one bag of gold. And the man went away and he said, hey, use, use my stuff for my good while, while I'm gone. And then after a long time, the man came back and he asked his servants what they'd done with his money. And so the servant who had five bags of gold, he'd invested it and he got five more. And he gave all 10 bags to his master. And here's what the master said to his servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. I love that, don't you? Like, that's what I wanna hear Jesus say to me when he comes back. And so then the master turns to the servant who had two bags of gold and he'd invested them and got two more and he gave them to the master and the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I wanna hear from Jesus. And then he turned to the servant who had one bag and that servant hadn't invested it. He hadn't used it. He just buried it in the ground. And so he gave him his one bag back. He said, hey, here's, here's what you gave me. And, and I won't spoil it. I'll let you go read the story for yourself. But it doesn't end well for that servant who refused to use what the master had given him. All of us have been given things on loan by the master. Um, in your family, your spouse, you, you've been given relationships, experiences, money, time, talents. You've been given these things on loan from Jesus. And remember, this life is just a miss. Jesus is gonna come back someday and the master is gonna ask us what we have done with what he loaned us. And so part of our job is to make sure that our spouse is using faithfully what God has given them and leveraging who they are for the good of the kingdom. That means I want you to encourage your spouse and equip them to live on mission. Ask them questions like, hey babe, like God, God's really blessed us financially in this season. Do you think we could give a little more? Do you think we could exercise some faith by being more generous? Or honey, man, you are really good at that. Have you ever thought about using that to serve? Or hey, who, who's God putting in your life? Or, or what, what can I pray for you? Who, who do you think God's putting in your path that, that we're called to love in this season? Or what can I do to help you chase the dream that God has put on your heart? Whatever you do, equip your spouse to live on mission. Give them the time and the money and the resources and the prayer. Give them whatever it takes to help them do what God is calling them to do. Because we don't have time to chase the stuff that the couples around us are chasing. We don't have time to squander away our lives pursuing happiness here on on earth. We're on a mission. Let your marriage prepare you for heaven by equipping your spouse to live on mission. And here's the third thing. Let your marriage prepare you for heaven by serving your spouse to model God's love. Serving your spouse to model God's love. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about how will you want to be a church with, with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. That we're going to hold tight to the truth of God's word and never going to let it go but we also want that truth to always express itself in love and practical acts of service. We're gonna pick up a basin and a towel, just like Jesus did on the last night of his life when he picked up a basin and a towel and he washed the dirty, nasty feet of his disciples. And the thing about marriage is that it gives you a lot of opportunities to pick up the basin and the towel, doesn't it? it gives you a lot of chances to serve in some ways that are inglorious. And there's a way to serve that models God's love, and there's also a way to serve that doesn't model God's love, right? 
I heard a story, it's a true story of a, a home group that was talking and the wives were kind of having a conversation in their home group and, and they, one of the wives piped up and she said, you know, when my husband chips in and helps out at night and, and he, he gives the kids a bath and he puts them to bed, I find myself very attracted to him that evening. And you can imagine all the guys in the room, their ears perk up, you know, at this a little bit. So I, I'm just imagining in my head that all the guys went home that week and they're like all bathing their kids every night. The kids are like, dad, we had a bath this morning. And they're like, no, get in there, I don't care. You know, like, like this is how we operate, isn't it? Like, and this is inside of all of us. We have this tendency to treat relationships in a transactional way, don't we? I'm gonna give you what you want and you're gonna give me what I want. Like, I'm gonna do what you need, but you're gonna do what I need, right? This is how we operate out of our flesh. And that's not serving in a way that models God's love. Serving in a way that models God's love is picking up the basin and the towel and serving your spouse regardless of whether you get anything in return. That, that's the heart of God. And it's really inglorious. It's challenging, it's hard. Uh, Paul talks about what this basin and towel kind of mindset looks like in marriage specifically here in Ephesians chapter five. He says it like this. He says, wives, ladies, here's what he says to you. Here's what it means to pick up the basin and the towel in your marriage. He says, wives, Submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So if earthly marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the relationship between God and his people, then that means in the same way that we as a church lovingly follow Jesus' lead, wives, it's what you're called to do to your husbands provided that they are obeying God and not asking you to do anything that is sinful. That's a really hard call sometimes, isn't it? But husbands, fellas, listen up, because Paul actually gives us a call that's even harder and even higher. Here's the call he gives us in Ephesians 5. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Can you imagine loving somebody else like you love your own body? That's not a transaction. Paul's saying like anytime your body feels an urge, like we meet the urge, right? Like if you're tired, you sleep. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're thirsty, you drink. And Paul's saying that actually, husbands, you're called to use those urges of your body as a trigger to serve your wife. He goes on. He says, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. The Greek word there for feed is the same word that describes what a mother does for the baby in her womb. You're called to love your wife tenderly and care for her, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Guys, we're called to love our wives like Jesus loves his church. And can you remind me, how did Jesus love his church? He died for it, right? And fellas, like most of us, like we would, we'd step out there on Dan Jones, we'd step in front of a bus for our girl, wouldn't we? Like if that's what it came to. You'd, you'd take a bullet for your lady, I hope you would. But the kind of sacrifice that Jesus is calling us to is actually a little less glorious than that, a little less momentary than that. It's a day-by-day kind of mundane sacrifice. It looks like changing the diaper so that she doesn't have to. It looks like uh, cleaning up the dishes after dinner, even when it was her night, just so she can take a break. It means giving her little surprises here and there just to remind her that you still pick her and that you still love her. It means uh, showering her with thoughtful compliments. It means letting her pick where to eat. It means reminding her of how much you love her and why you love her, not so that you can get what you want from her, but so that when she sees the way you love her, She'll get just a little tiny taste of how much Jesus loves her. 
And the difficult reality with this, that as husbands and wives, we're called to pick up the basin and the towel, is that God is calling some of you to go home and to serve spouses who are not gonna serve you back because they don't share that same conviction and maybe they haven't been formed to the heart of Christ to the same degree that you have. And that's a hard call. But number one, I want you to know that we see you and that God sees you and that you are mirroring his heart as you serve and get nothing in return because that's what he did for us. So let your marriage prepare you for heaven by serving your spouse to model God's love. Those are three ways that we're gonna answer that first question about the future, about is your marriage preparing you for heaven? I wanna close today though by asking you one question just right here about the present. And it's this, Uh, is your marriage bringing heaven to earth? Is your marriage bringing heaven to earth? I uh, heard a story about the Chicago Bears football team from back in the 1980s when the Bears were actually good, you know? Um, and, and one time the team was having a chapel service together and at the end of the chapel service, the coach of the Bears, Mike Ditka, he wanted to have this time of team prayer. And so Coach Ditka, he asked Refrigerator Perry to lead the team in a prayer. Some of y'all remember Refrigerator Perry, like this massive lineman, changed the game of football. They called him the fridge. And so Coach Ditka asked the fridge to lead the team in prayer. Well, the quarterback back of the team, Jim McMahon, leaned over to the chaplain and he said, the fridge? Pray in the Lord's prayer? That's rich. There's no way the fridge knows the Lord's prayer. In fact, chaplain, I'll bet you 20 bucks right now, the fridge does not know the Lord's prayer. And the chaplain's thinking like, this seems a little weird, you know, be betting, gambling on the Lord's prayer, but I guess it's what you do when you're with the bear. So, okay, you know, and, 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 and so they, they lay down the $20 bet. The whole team bows their heads and the fridge starts to pray and he prays. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And, and Jim McMahon just shook his head in disgust and he handed 20 bucks to the chaplain. He said, man, I was sure he didn't know the Lord's prayer. <laughs> We're laughing, right? Because we know that's not the Lord's prayer. I hope you know that's not the Lord's prayer, right? Um, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray like this in Matthew chapter six. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that part of Jesus's goal isn't just to get this world into heaven, it's to get heaven into this world through us. To bring up there, down here, so that when people see the way that we live and love, they'll get a taste of what eternity's gonna look like. And we get to show the world what heaven looks like in our marriages. And we can imagine what it's gonna be like in heaven, right? Like when we're gonna be with Jesus forever, we're gonna be finally and fully complete in him. Every one of our needs is gonna be met in him. Every one of our desires is gonna be satisfied in him. Every one of your deepest longings will be finally and fully complete and fulfilled in him. That's gonna be a good day. And in our marriages until then, we get to show the world what that kind of satisfaction in Christ looks like. And the world doesn't know anything about that. That's not how they approach marriage. Here's a little snapshot of how the world treats marriage. The world treats marriage like it's supposed to be the thing that satisfies us. There's a psychotherapist named Dr. Esther Perel. She said this, it was helpful for me. She said, marriage used to be primarily an economic institution in which you were given partnership for life in terms of children and social status and succession and companionship. But now, 
We want our partner to still give us all these things. But in addition, I want you to be my best friend and my trusted confidant and my passionate lover to boot. And we live twice as long. So we come to one person and we basically are asking them to give us what once an entire village used to provide. Give me belonging, give me identity, give me transcendence and mystery and awe all in one. Give me comfort, give me edge, give me novelty, give me familiarity, give me predictability, give me surprise. In the face of that, is it any wonder that marriages are crumbling all around us? If you could put that kind of pressure on one sinful person, they're gonna fail you. If you could put that kind of pressure to satisfy your desires on one relationship, it's gonna crumble. Marriage was never meant to satisfy your thirst. It was only meant to whet your appetite for Jesus. He's the only one who can satisfy your deepest desires and he said, I'm the living water and everybody who drinks for me will never be thirsty again. It's gonna be a good day, church. And so until then, the best thing you can do for your marriage is to become a person who is totally satisfied in Christ. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to become a person who can honestly pray Psalm 23, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That because the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. That because the Lord is your shepherd, you have everything that you need. That because the Lord is your shepherd, you have all that you need in him. He is all the affirmation you will ever need. He is all the affection and attention you will all ever need. He is all the respect that you will ever need. He is always the one who's gonna be listening to you. He's going to be the one who's helping you become who he made you to be. He's the one who's gonna be trustworthy and always keep his vows. He's the one who's always gonna be paying attention to you. He's gonna be the one who's always providing for you. He's going to be the one who's always dependable. Everything you need is in him. So if you can rest in that, fully and completely satisfied in him, that actually frees you up to love your spouse richly without needing them to fulfill you. As you're satisfied in Christ, that's what enables you to live out the vows that you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. As you are satisfied in Christ, that's what enables you to love freely and deeply when your bodies are young and sleek and there's Marvin Gaye music playing in the background and the scent of Chanel number five is in the air. And when your bodies are old and gray and wrinkly and talk radios playing in the background and the smell of your denture cream is in the air, like as you're satisfied in Christ, you can still love freely no matter what because everything you need is in him. On the days when your marriage is firing on all cylinders and on the days when it just doesn't seem like you can get on the same page, you have everything you need in him. And John Piper said it like this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's the truth I want you to remember today. And you can live that out whether you're married or not whether your marriage is on the rocks or whether your marriage is going well, whether you're not married and you wanna be, whether you were married and you regret it, regardless of where you are right now, regardless of your relationship status, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him and he is always and only the one who will ever meet your needs. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we already talked about this, that our best life comes later, right? And one of the dangers that's inside of us is forgetting that because it causes us to wanna use this life to satisfy us. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the good news is that this life is as close to hell as you're ever gonna get. It only gets better from here. But if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I wanna warn you in love that this life is as close to heaven as you're ever gonna get on your own. It doesn't get any better. But this life is a mist 
And you don't know how many chances you're gonna get, but Jesus came into the middle of that, a world trapped by death, and he died for you, and he rose again to new life, and he will never die again, and you can have that same kind of eternal life in him, with him being the only one who can satisfy your needs. Maybe you're here, and you're thirsty. Maybe you're here, and you've been chasing things that you thought would satisfy you, but they just leave you dry and wanting more, and you don't know where to look, and I'm telling you, you can look to him every time. And he can give you a life that is wild beyond your dreams, beyond anything you could ever imagine, where he satisfies your deepest need, where he comes and lives in you and prepares you for forever life with him. And I want you to experience that in your marriage, in your life, in your work, in every area of your lives. I want you to know what it looks like to be satisfied in him, because I do, and let me tell you, it's good. So I can walk with you to the cross of Jesus. Please don't put it off. We'd love to talk with you always to help you discover new life in him. You can always come forward. I'll be here the rest of the service. You can always go to our website. There's a baptism tab there if you click on that. We'd love to walk with you to the cross of Christ to find the one who's the only one who can satisfy your thirst. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, go ahead and take out your communion. This is our family meal that we take together every week. In a minute, I'm gonna give you a chance to take the bread on your own. And as you take that, um, Jesus said, this is my body. I want you to remember Jesus' body that was nailed to that cross for you. And then I'm gonna pray. And then together, we'll take the cup. And as you drink the blood of Jesus, we're gonna remember that this is our hope in life and death. And that it's his blood that can always satisfy us and meet your deepest needs. We're gonna taste and see that the Lord is good. I'll give you a minute. God, I'm thankful today that you see us. We only look at the outward appearance, but you look at the heart and you see in our hearts today, our hopes and our dreams. You see our fears and our disappointments. You see our weakness where we struggle to trust you, where we still doubt. You see the areas of our lives where we... um, or even still sometimes living in willful rebellion against you. And so we're we're bringing all of this to you today and even our forgetfulness. We're here to remember and we're here to lay this at your feet and to say thank you that even in the middle of all of our mess, you've chosen to love us and to serve us. And as we drink this juice that represents your blood, we praise you that this washes us clean. And this is why we have the hope of eternity, not because we're good, not because we deserve it, but because you are good and you have earned it and you deserve our allegiance. And so we praise you. It's in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Jesus.